Well, let's go ahead to Genesis chapter 12. I think most of you, uh, it's been a while since we've been in, uh, where I've been up here. So we, last thing we covered was, I believe, and I may be completely wrong. Wouldn't matter if I did repeat something. You're not going to remember. At least that's what most of my students have done over the years when I've taught. Uh, but when we're looking into Genesis chapter 12, of course, we've just come out of Genesis 11 and, uh, does anybody know what goes on in Genesis chapter 11? What's the big thing? The dispersion, that's right, the Tower of Babel. Man has decided that he has a plan. And man's plan was to build a tower. Isn't that great? You know, when I was five years old, I'll never forget, I tried to dig my way to the devil. I'm not sure what I was going to do when I got there. Um, I did think that it was a novel idea and no one really done it yet. And me and another boy, we sat there and we dang, we said, what are we going to do when we get a hold of him? And uh, we didn't have a good plan. Um, so we stopped and we never made it. And uh, it, there's a swing set over there. It's got a big hole under it now. And so if you over there on the property at News Baptist, that's what you'll see. So anyway, but I've been glad that we didn't dig all the way there. And, you know, it was a futile effort. Uh, in fact, the best we were going to do was probably China. There's nothing there. Why in the world would you want to go there? You know, man's just as futile in his will. He has a design in a way that he thinks is best. And I look at life in general so many times, I think I know what's best for my life. And I look at the Tower of Babel, and I see man trying to do that over and over again. To the point that God said, that's not good for you. And I need to disperse you. And we need to, we need to focus on something else completely different. And we come to chapter 12 and there has been some, uh, given toward the end of chapter 11, a little bit for us, for us to be able to appreciate kind of the, the family lines and what goes on there. But we'll pick up in, in chapter 12. My goal is to get through 12 and 13 uh, tonight, and uh, I hope that as we get into God's Word, that that's what will be heard. Um, and we'll let's get, go ahead and get started now in, in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai's wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and to the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the plan of Sichem, and to the plan of Moreh, and, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed that from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord. 
and called upon the name of the Lord, and Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, well, it's always good to say to your wife, by the way. It's a good thing to say, guys. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that thou shalt say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well for, with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abraham was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abraham well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh with and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I had, so I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. You know, we come to this point, one of the word, one of the questions that stands out to me in this passage is what Pharaoh said to Abram. He says, what is this that thou hast done? What have you done? Abram, what have you done? And he also asked him what? Church, he asked him, why? You know, that's really the question for us tonight. If we're going to take a good study of this passage, Pharaoh had questions. And so should we when we look at a passage like this. First, I want you to understand that if we were to characterize this man called Abram, we understand that Stephen spoke of him in Acts chapter 7, and that was important. You know, Abram, there was not a man that, that's been regarded as much as, as Abraham has. Um, Jews claim him. Muslims claim him. <laughs> Christians, you know, love him. So this man has, uh, you know, through, throughout... The world, I mean, I looked at the world population and the percentages. I mean, you think about it, probably 60% of the world, uh, when you look at, if you trust online uh, percentages, um, would, would follow that Abram was a good man. We also recognize, go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 7. You know, we understand that the Bible says in Galatians 3, 7, that it says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of who, church? Abraham. That makes him the father of what, class? Faith. And yet tonight, what I'm going to be speaking on here is not going to seem to, to line up with that. It's, it's, it, you, you look at this and you go, he is the father here. When you look at this, 
These are the children of Abraham, they which are faith. That is what, as, as we look at this passage here and we start to get into it, we understand that the Bible has high regard for Abraham. We know that he's referenced all throughout the New Testament even. Uh, in fact, let's just go there to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is a passage that's well known. You know, as we look in Hebrews 11, and we see that um, uh, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, knowing not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, theirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know, Abram was credited here within the faith chapter, and of course we'll see that it goes on and talks a little bit more about that. But as we think about Abram uh, and Abraham, we recognize that, you know, God in his sovereignty reached out and and called Abraham, and we're going to find out tonight that Abraham is just a man. Um, you know, we look at the the life that we live, and sometimes we uh, will idolize these folks to the point where they're put in places they never intended to be, never would they promote themselves to be. Uh, they were flesh and blood just like us. You know, as we look in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says there that he was told to to, to get out, get out of the country. You know, God is sovereign. He can do that. He can tell us what to do. At some point or another, Abram had embraced the Lord. By the way, uh, church, as we think about what's just happened at the Tower of Babel, we recognize that there was an understanding that there is a God. By the way, it was a God that they what? They feared. <laughs> So they were trying to build something that would they could unify around. And by the way, our world's looking to unify even today. You can look across this world and globalism is at the forefront of everybody's thinking. You know why? Because if we're all globally connected, I mean, the World Health Organization will save us, right? Um, you know, we, we look at how the world thinks and how anything that goes against globalism is arrogance. And, you know, you look at these people who were building the tower and we understand kind of that they disperse because of their languages. They go to other places and still in the rebellion of their heart, they lift up other gods. But, you know, God always has a remnant and those that he reaches out to and spirits conviction. And he has the ability in that relationship to tell them to get out. And so, so we as Christians are called. Uh, to be separate and, you know, come out from among them. And he's told, more importantly, from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee, and he goes into his I wills. You know, man had some I wills in chapter 11. God has some I wills. You know, God only wants the best for us, and yet I see people today, they fear God in the sense... They fear His precepts. They fear His commandments. They fear everything about the Word of God scares them. It's the reason why it must be stamped out of society. It's the reason why it must not survive politically. It can't be in anything in government. 
Because it is, truth is superior to the lie that man has crafted. And so as we think about what is God's going to give him here as he calls him out and, and Abram is going to respond in obedience to God's sovereignty and his ability to direct and work in his life. He's going to give him these, these, uh, seven blessings here as we look through it. Um, he says, and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee. In fact, go back to uh, Galatians three. You'll see that he brings that out in there. Um, after you read verse 7, it says in verse 8 in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abram, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So, you know, he, he says, I will make thee a great nation. And we're going to see that he's going to be a blessing to the nation. Now he says, I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the uh, families of the earth be blessed. And so as we look at this here, you know, he's going to, he is certainly this giant of faith. He is certainly one that obeyed and, and moved at the, the promises of God. And it, there is a connection to God's promises here when we obey. And, uh, you know, he's told that obviously that he'll be made the great nation and his name will be great. It's like I said, I can't think of any other person uh, throughout the world today that would be revered. I think about the fact of those who do go against Israel. Uh, you know, we obviously their system of government and, 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 and their, their lifestyle today does not recognize the one and true God in that sense. But there is something to it. Uh, one of the commentators said, Barnhouse said, when the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, they were soon conquered by Rome. When Rome killed Paul and many others and destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon, soon fell. Spain was reduced to a fifth-rate nation after the Inquisition against the Jews. Poland fell out to the pogroms. Hitler's Germany went down after it, its orgies of anti-Semitism. Britain lost her empire when she broke her faith with Israel. And, you know, it's the reason why we as Christians have that affection for the Jewish people and we understand that uh, they're God's people. Well, they'll obviously be on that stage in the end times. And we'll, we know that those are things that will, uh, he's still, still uh, he has not put them away in that sense. And, of course, we know that all the families of the earth are blessed in this, all the people, you know, just like I read from Galatians 3, and um, we know that it's in Revelation that every tribe and every tongue and every people uh, are there. And, um, you know, as we think about this, it's, it's uh, a blessing to see that God would take a family like this and begin to work with them, just a man and his wife, and a desire to see faith in operation. Because there is a greater blessing to be had. All right, so in verse 4, it says that Abram, of course, uh, had, well, as the Lord had spoken in him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old. Of course, Lot going with him is, uh, you know, that, that will be a stumbling block, and um, he is not going to be the blessing to Abraham that Abraham might think. 
And uh, he's going to be trouble and an inconvenience in time. And so, of course, God is going to, uh, you know, have to have to deal with that. And in verses 7 through 9, we see there, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto, uh, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded, he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So what do we see here? Well, we see Abram, of course, he comes into the land. Um, God reminds him of what? His promise. Obedience should always be connected to the promises of God. And as he comes into the land, he's gone northeast from Mesopotamia area and coming all the way up along the Tigris and coming into the north side of what we call Israel. And as he comes into this, of course, the Lord appears to him in his obedience. And you say, well, he's, he's partially obeying. He's got lot with him. And you know, as we think about obedience and we think about faith, aren't you glad that God does not drop the hammer on us? He allows us to mature. He allows us to grow. And we grow in our faith. And we can be really unkind and, un, you know, not so nice to uh, Abraham uh, for, for, you know, you think about it, well, we got a high standard for him. We're like, he's the father of faith. No, you don't get that. You don't get that pass. I'm sorry. But I think that's an unrealistic expectation of faith and maybe one that the devil can paint that if he can make it unrealistic to attain faith, in other words, you've got to hold sinless perfection, there's going to be a problem. And uh, you probably would never uh, aspire to it. Um, you know, you'll never want to do God's will if you don't think it's practical, that it's simple, and that even when we don't see, because we all are going to misstep. And we think about the fact that Abram, he misstep. He shouldn't have lot with him. But you can see here, God's appearing to him. God's still working with him. And he reminds him that he's going to give this to him in, in this land. Uh, by the way, it's in Genesis 23. The only thing he ever owns there is what? It's a grave. <laughs> you know, he buys into a grave there for, for Sarai. And of course, you know, you, you look at where he, he's, he's wandering around and going through this land. You know, I kind of gave away the answer, but class or church, is this the land? Is this the land? You know, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, what was he looking for? What was it? Let's go back there and look at it. What was he looking for in Hebrews chapter 11? Verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Skip down to verse uh, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared them for them a city. You know, churches, we think about faith and we think about its destination. It is not the things of this world. 
Our obedience is all centered around what our eternal home is, what the eternal value should be, and not the temporal and not the carnal. That's always the goal. You know, sometimes we'd like to see political situations change, and sometimes we want to see our financial position change, and sometimes we want to see whether, you know, it's, it's, it's your name or what, whatever it is that we think should change, things that we need to be successful and to have and to be able to serve God, our focus cannot be on the land. I think about the land they're going to. What, who's there in the land, church? Canaanites, those are godly people. I mean, he's pretty much moving right into what the godly people, wasn't he? It's not, no, no. You see, Canaan was a place in which God is carrying out His plan. The ultimate goal is for for Him to be the vessel of obedience because what's going to come through Abraham? That's right. And ultimately, the Messiah. Ultimately, the Messiah. We think about, you know... All that's at stake here. And his obedience is so important to every little detail. And I think about the fact that, you know, he's pitching tents everywhere. I cannot stand sleeping in a tent. Uh, I don't think that's posh living. Um, in fact, I always talk about it be neat. And if you ever hear me say that, correct me and say, now, Brother Hall, you know what you would do. And I, I can't, I can't handle camping. And I think about, He's in this tent and he's going around and, and he's, you, you see here his paths. He's just, he's going south and he's traveling. He's nomadic. And it seems like he doesn't have a home. But for Abraham, it's more than that. He has embraced that he is a pilgrim on a journey. And I think about the fact that we need to do that too. I mean, go to first Peter chapter two. Verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. By the way, what is the soul? It's the mind, will, and emotions. You want to destroy yourself? Try living the Christian life and yet having something war against your mind, will, and emotions. When they're not aligned with the spiritual and the eternal, you will be a forever and tortured soul. By the way, there was a man who went through that. And his name was Lot. He vexed his soul, the Bible says. Think about that. So there's a connection here with obedience and understanding what he is and where he's going and what he's supposed to be doing. He has a lot more here that he understands about his situation and his goal was the heavenly city. And then we see what God puts here in front of him as a test. You know, we think about it. If it's not tested, it's not worth having. If it's not tested, it's, it's not good enough. And, and we need to be mindful of that. Um, when we think about testing and we think about, um, you know, the thing, in fact, we want things tested. You know, I'd like to, by the way, since I work for the city of Raleigh, I just want you to know that your water is tested often and it's very safe. Um, and we, we do a great job. We produce some of the best 
converted river mud water you've ever seen. It's tested. We put it under a lot of tests, and we get to see all of that. Well, that, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're going to have to have a test. He gets there, and in God's sovereignty, you know what is a blessing and a curse for the Christian is that God also in His sovereignty allows man to have a free will. By the way, who is the greatest sovereign? Is it the person who can make people do things or the people who let people choose? The greatest sovereign is the one who can allow choice. Not the one who's got to force the hand. It's kind of like goes in line with pastors speaking on Calvinism recently. God is not as sovereign if He's forcing people to get saved as He is when He allows whosoever will. Obedience is a choice. When we, when, when we look at this and we see here this test that's coming up uh, for Abram, we recognize that in, in verse 10 it says, And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. We're going to stop right there. We'll actually finish it up. For the famine was grievous in the land. Grievous. What does the famine represent? You know, if Abram has been obedient, and there's obedience that he's done, and he's been faithful, and this is a man who God is has reached out to, he's responded, He's gone there. He's moving around in a tent and he's worshiping the Lord. He's setting up altars. He has a relationship with God. And here he comes into this land and now there is famine. In fact, you can replace the word famine with the word need. Just take, by the way, it was a famine. I'd be upset when I heard the truckers were going to strike. I was so upset. I was thinking, oh no, you know, I'm not going to get my can of that or my can of this or, you know, and especially I, I love my Rebel ice cream. If I don't get that's keto ice cream, by the way, I can have ice cream, just so you guys know, in case there's anybody checking. Okay, it's keto ice cream. I, I love that stuff, but it's not going to come if the trucks don't run, you know. I don't know where I'll go. Um, but I think about Abram, You really, it really doesn't matter what it was. It represented need. You know, as we think about our obedience. I think about the fact that as Christians, that salvation, that's a big decision. It is a decision, you know. I, I, I look at it's a choice. And it's a huge change in, in a person's life. But then I look at after that, do all the needs go away? No. In fact, that's how it's promoted sometimes and there are a lot of disappointed people in this world because of it. You know, when we think about need in our life, it truly does test this level of faith. And we recognize that if God is sovereign and man's obedience in following that is so good, then why does man fail when he has his own free will and he doesn't exhibit a quality that the Bible promotes. Um, I'll read some of these. Romans 5.3 says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And, pa- and Romans 5.4, patience, experience, and experience, hope. 
Romans 8, uh, 25. But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Um, and, and there are so many places in Scripture we can go through and we can see, um, you know, we, we understand uh, Hebrews 10.36, before we ever get to the faith chapter, we see it says, For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. By the way, church, what's he getting when he's there? He's receiving the promise. But see, to receive the promise, we have to be faithful and we have to be obedient, and we have to wait, and we have to have patience. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1, right after the faith chapter, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with what, church? Patience, the race that is set before us. James speaks of patience in James 1, 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience in verse four have her perfect work that you might be, you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Uh, James five seven, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And we can go on and on and on. And, um, you know, you think about this, uh, this idea of patience. Abram is tested with patience right out of the gate. And I think about the fact that there's this famine in the land and, um, you know, the far-off promises of God, sometimes we're so willing to trust those, but we're not willing to trust Him now, in the present. I, I guarantee you in our church, and just even though we're a small church, you don't have to put together many people to realize that there's a need. Every soul sitting in this room today has a need. And really the question is, how are you going to meet that need? You have emotional needs, you have physical needs. You have spiritual needs. How will you meet those needs? What's important to you? You know, Abram, as he's there, he's a man of um, he's he's a man of great wealth. He has a lot. Of, he's been able to provide. This might be one of the subtle areas that he's not aware of that he's vulnerable in. You know, be careful. It may be the things that you think you're secure in that you're the most vulnerable in. It may be the things that you think, you know what, hey, I'm okay there. Are you? Be careful because this is, when we start to sense danger, we'll find out through the test what we're going to do. We see that he goes off and he's headed down uh, to Egypt. And uh, we say, don't go there. You know, don't, don't, don't go there. It's, it's, it's not good, Abram. You know, you shouldn't do this. But he, he looks at it and goes, you know what? We have to go there. We've got to. And it's amazing how we as Christians can justify our actions. We got to do this. We just need to do that. We got to go down there. And so he doesn't talk to the Lord and he's going to decide to, to move, to, to move out of this area. And, and you think about this. Um, here's the man of faith. Here's the man whose his children are children of faith. And, and we look at what's going on here, and of course, and he, he tells um, he tells her there, he says, Hey, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. So he's gonna, gonna say, Hey, we need to lie here. Um, you know, he, he's talking to Sarah on verse eleven. I see I skipped a little bit of that. 
Um, yeah, verse 11, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai's wife, behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. You know, he's thinking, he's calculating, he's thinking that thing through and he's thinking, she's a liability. That's a liability you should have, gentlemen. You got a wife, you want to make sure, you just look too beautiful, honey. You're putting me at risk, you know. So here it is. This is his wife. He says, they'll kill me. What did he lose sight of? You always connect waiting and the patience and the obedience with the promises. He's lost sight of the promises. You look at all those things that God said that he, and he, when God said it, he said, I will. And he goes through that whole, whole portion there. I will make thee of a great nation. I will bless thee. I mean, I'm thinking about, I'll bless them that bless them and curse him that curseth thee. Just stay put. Just stay put, Abram. And of course, we're all the, was it the Monday morning quarterbacks? We're able to, to call that out. But I think if we're all sitting here and honest, we all know where we've messed up. Listen, there's none of us that go from day to day in a, in a perfect way. And we know that sin represents the places where we don't want to wait any longer. We have a need that we want to fulfill. And the way we fulfill that need is if we don't go to God, we try to provide it for ourselves. And if we're not careful, what we don't understand is that we're jeopardizing something much greater than just us. We're jeopardizing the plan. You know, he might have thought it was innocent to have gone down to Egypt, but he is carrying the womb for the eventual what? Messiah. Connect that promise. All families of the earth shall be blessed. All of heaven was screaming, don't go. Thankfully, God is sovereign. Remember, that was the first point. God is sovereign, okay? Secondly, man has a free will. He can mess it up. He did it before, didn't he? Didn't he do it in the garden? He messed it up in the garden, and and, and we can all blame, well, we're going to start by blaming Eve first, then Adam, right? No, they were the best representatives we have. We all we all would fall. We probably would fall much quicker, right? They were a perfect representation of mankind. And yet, yeah, you think about even the Garden of Eden, Eve expressed need where everything was provided for. The devil made sure it was presented to her in a way that she needed something. It's kind of like an infomercial. I think the devil runs the infomercials too, right? You know the color picture is the product they're selling. The black and white picture is not the product they're selling, right? Stay in Israel. That's in the black and white. Go to Egypt. That's in color. See the pyramids. Get some food while you're there. You know, and, and then he has to, by the way, he has to tell her to lie. And, and, and what is he teaching her? See, what is he doing here? He's teaching her that God is not faithful. God cannot be waited upon. He cannot, you cannot have, 
you you can't you got to take this into your own hands. Hmm, that's going to come back later. He's going to have taught her well. And by the way, his leadership, we need to keep that in mind. It's those subtleties of what we do when we're concocting a plan. By the way, he had justified it in his mind, but these are things that are not only going to affect his wife, but also will affect his child. And, you know, we think about this lie. It seems like it's not going to harm anything, but it, it, it's going to show up in more ways than one. You know, we think about... Um, them going down to Egypt, though, and he tells them, you know, you're my sister. Now, that's from Genesis 20:12. It does clarify for us that she is a half-sister. And so that's okay, right? It's okay to tell a half-truth. Uh, no, a half-truth is a whole what, church? Lie. That's right. So he was here clearly seeking to deceive, and he's trusting his deception instead of the Lord. And um, if you think about it, you know, he, he is already, uh, he, he's, he's, he's headed for trouble. And um, I, I think about the fact that this man was indestructible as long as he's in God's will, and yet he's in fear now. He's letting fear drive his choices. He's had need, he's expressed fear, he's now doing wrong. We, listen, as Christians, we don't set out to do wicked. We just do right things the wrong way, right? Preserving his family is a good thing. But you don't do it against God's command and God's, God's uh, direction. And so, of course, in verses 14 and 15, and it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. So, he was correct. Ding, ding, ding. He was right. They looked at her and said, wow, okay. By the way, given her age, that's impressive, right? So, wow, and they did notice her. What, you know, as you're looking at this point, <laughs> He didn't need there to be there to begin with. But by the way, he's validated now. They said, she's beautiful. And Pharaoh called Abram, and, and or no, in verse 17 there, uh, verse 16, sorry, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. So in verse 15, they come and, and of course, they, they commend her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. I could not imagine. I could not imagine. But you know what? This is what self-preservation would do. It will take you to places you thought you'd never go. It'll make you lie, cheat, and steal. And for the Christian, I think Christians go to darker places than even the world does. Because once you violate that conscience, it's wide open. Um, I shared this with a guy at work one time. He told me, he says, you ought to go here with me and do this and he was talking about, obviously, every he named every sin in the book, right? You need to go do that with me. I said, no, you don't want that. I said, because if I go do that, that's a line I've crossed. And I said, I'd, I'd end up killing you. And he said, I said, well, when you aggravate me, if I can cross that line, why don't I, when I get mad or angry, why don't I just take you out? He said, that's not very Christian, brother. Well, you know, so that, that's not, that's not very Christian. I said, well, then you want me to, you want me to operate according to biblical principle, you know? Because once I violate it for the Christian, 
you violate that conscience, you, you go against God's will, you, you're no longer patiently waiting on God, and there you are. And, and I think about the fact that God, now God can still protect, and in His grace and His mercy, you know, we've seen that God is sovereign, and we see our, Abram's obedience. We see man's free will, and we see, obviously, he fails in, in not waiting and being patient. But we also see God's mercy. And, and we look at this and, and the Lord, it's interesting. He plagues Pharaoh. Doesn't seem fair, does it? <laughs> it's the one time you might feel sorry for Pharaoh, right? Uh, Pharaoh, of course, has plagued his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And however he found out, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Wow, and this is one of those sad occurrences where the world, in virtue, stands in judgment of the man who we call the man of faith right here. I think about the fact that he's being questioned, and you know that we have no record here of a response. You know, for the saved, the Spirit of God talks and communes with our spirit within our heart. I, I, I believe it's clear. You know, Abram is a good man. He's a man that is learning and experience is teaching him much about patience. Why saidest thou she is my sister? You lied. You lied. He says, so I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. What mercy of God. You know, we see God's sovereignty, Abram's obedience and his response to that. We see man's free will, and then when it's exercised in the wrong way, it's a horrible thing. But we also see man has a free will to get it right to take care of it and not be condemned still and not be continually under that. The best thing he can do is not justify himself. You know, we've been going through Sunday school talking about, you know, we talked about old Saul. He tended to justify himself. I look at Abram, there is no response. In fact, what does he do? Abram went up out of Egypt and all that he had and lot with him into the south in chapter 13. And Abram was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from south even to Bethel, even unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. And I want you to focus on that phrase, had been at the beginning. You say, it looks like physically he's gotten nowhere. <laughs> well, you, you'd be right, physically. Um, but understand this, faith, is a journey in this regard. And it takes a long time for this oak tree to root itself and to plant and be what it should be in faith. And it takes, and we'll make mistakes. Abram made mistakes. He had, you know, he had all kinds of things working against him here. He gets down there and he realizes, you notice he doesn't go back to Mesopotamia. He heads back to where he was. And you know, for the Christian, 
we need to do the same. We need to get back to where the blessings of God are, where the promises of God are, and realize that God doesn't seek... By the way, does this say that God approached Abram and said, what were you doing down there? Do you notice that conversation never happened? But had God already spoken? He most certainly did. Listen, you can beat yourself up long after it's done, but you're doing yourself no good because God isn't keeping up with it. When you ask Him for forgiveness, guess what happens? He puts it behind Him. It's over. It's time to move on. You say, yeah, but I'm right back at the beginning. So was Abram. He's back in a tent in the same place and probably lost ground on anything he would have done there. You know, I think about us in our life. You know, God's called us as Christians and we respond and we move towards that. But I want to encourage you, if you've made choices and you fail, God wants you to return. God wants you, you know, we know from Jeremiah, there's, he only has thoughts of what? Thoughts of peace towards us. I think about the fact that he's a forgiving God, that he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And yet so many times people get depressed and down and say, well, I failed. I think about Abram. He took a real tongue lashing from Pharaoh. He could have said, I- I'm not cut out for this. I need to go home. I just need to go back to the land of Canaan. No, I'm going to head back to Mesopotamia. You know, he could do that. But he gets back and, and he does something that's, you know, seems so odd because he comes back and you say, what does he set up there? You know, he says, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first in verse four. And what does it say? Abram called on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. And then we see an altercation that happens right behind that. And that altercation represented physical need, didn't it? There's one thing about it. If you go through a trial, learn something. Learn something from it. What was it that he had learned? You see, what, and we don't have time to read through all of that right now, but if you read there in, verse, in verses 5 and, and on, there's this conflict between him and Lot. And really what it comes down to is that <laughs> verse 9 He says, you go wherever you want. I have no interest. What was he doing? He was waiting on God. He knew it didn't matter which side he picked. He's willing to trust God and be patient. And boy, did he come out the better for that. You know, I look at Lot here. Some people say that Lot went towards Sodom and it pulled his heart away. The truth is, his heart was already pulled away before he headed to Sodom. Because you know what he was operating by? He was operating by sight and what he saw. Abraham, he was operating by faith, knowing that it didn't matter which side we pick, God's going to take care of me. And it's okay. Remember, this is a man just went through famine. And it was bad. And now... You look out there and you see these well-watered plains. And he says, you know what, God, I trust you. I'll let Lot make that decision. So that's what Lot chose. And they separated themselves. And, you know, we look there in, in verse 14. 
It says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up thine, now thine eyes, and look from the place which thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also, uh, also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, and the length of it, and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. He reestablishes his fellowship and his walk with God. And you know what God reestablishes for him? His promises and how much he loves him and what he wants to give him. You know, in a sense, the Lord offers you know this land and a name and, and all those things but just as God could look and see way beyond Abram's needs, Abram couldn't even imagine the needs he really had, but God could always see way beyond that and give him more than he ever could ever want. So Abram was able to see beyond the land and the things he was given to things that he cherished and valued beyond what anyone else can see here. He valued the eternal. You say, boy, you have all that land. He said, no, I'm looking at glory. <laughs> See, that's the only way to appreciate what's down here. You can't appreciate, truly appreciate things until you're looking beyond it. And that's what he's doing in this whole, in, in this whole walk here. And, you know, as we go through this, his joy is restored. His walk is restored. You know, we've seen God's sovereignty and we see man's choice there in his free will. And we see here, the happiness in his return and man's joy re, uh, restored. And that's what God wants for us. You know, as we walk this week, God wants the best for us. And he wants to see us, he wants to see us succeed. He's not there beating up Abraham and he's not looking to beat you up. He's looking for you to return. When you, when you have those failures and you have those needs, God just wants you to come back. And the last verse we see in, in verse 13 is he built that altar into the Lord. Just back to worship. That's where it needs to be.